back to the Improv Teachers. It's another episode. This week, we welcome Adel Rafai. Adel currently lives in Chicago and teaches at I.O. He is also known as Chunt, the shape-shifting badger from Hello! from the Magic Tavern, which is, of course, a hilarious and fantastic podcast. I had the pleasure of meeting Adel a couple of years ago at a festival, and I remember uh, I was pretty tired. It was the end of the festival, and I was kind of feeling like out of sorts, and then took Adel's workshop, and I was like, oh, yes, that's right. I'm not crazy. Improv is great. Adel gets it, and he's just an amazing teacher. I really enjoyed this conversation. Really grateful for him to take the time to talk shop, and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I do. And once again, thank you for listening to The Improv Teachers. I like to ask, though, do you remember the first class you had to th- – well, not you had to teach, but the first class you taught? Um, I don't know if I remember a ton of specifics from it. I, I think I remember some generalities, um, but I don't remember, like, a ton of specifics about it. Was it in Chicago or – It was in Chicago, yeah. It was okay. at I.O. in Chicago. Okay. And so so with that, then you would have gotten the curriculum and everything, right? Yep. So I, I – yeah, shadowed another teacher, had a curriculum, and then, yeah, I was off to the races. So did you uh, – was teaching always something that was on your radar or, like, a lot of people in Chicago, it sort of came about because you got to start ask to be coached, to coach teams, and then – it goes through that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't think it was ever on my radar. It wasn't anything that I was like (laughs) lusting for. Um, I, when I first came to Chicago, I think much like it is now, I think I was, um, hungry for opportunities, uh, stage time wise. So, um, I got asked to play on a lot of different teams and, um, being from the Midwest, I was, (laughs) I felt bad saying no. So I said yes to everything. And then I was doing like, <laughs> I was doing like ten different teams. Uh, really spread myself thin, um, so it was a pretty bad situation. Um, then eventually, because uh, I was my, my sort of mentors is a guy Jason Chin, um, and then uh, another another gentleman Caesar Jamie was looking out for me. So they, within a year and a half of being on an IO team in uh, IO Chicago, I was asked to coach the team. Um, and then a few months after that, I was asked to teach. So it just kind of, uh, fell in my lap and I was, um, I was like, okay, I'll give this a shot. And then I, I ended up falling in love with, uh, sort of teaching and coaching. Yeah. That was going to be my question. Cause a lot of us who land up coaching and teaching all of a sudden we get that improv bug as well for like the teaching and the coaching part of it. What do you think? Why do you think, what attracted you to the teaching and coaching part of it once you started doing it? I think to begin with, uh, selfishly, it made me a better improviser, or, or maybe not even a better improviser, but wildly more aware <laughs> of like my own play. Um, so I think when I started coaching others and, and teaching, I was like, well, I better hold myself accountable, and I better, uh, these sort of um, teachings I'm doling out or, or notes I'm giving, I better take myself. Um, so I think it just kept me a little bit more honest um, and, and made me, I, I believe, hopefully, um, a sharper performer. Um, so selfishly to start, that's, that's what I really enjoyed about it. And then the more I did it, you know, maybe, um, eight to eight months to a year after that sort of, um, self digestion, I think it became more about just like the joy in making it click for someone, like giving someone a note or giving someone feedback or, or directing a team in a direction where they have like this, 
you know, this, this, uh, break across their face in terms of like, Oh my gosh, now I get this, <laughs> this part of improv makes sense. So I think now it's such a joy to like make it click for people. Um, and just sort of see where, where, uh, the people you teach or coach end up. I think it's just really wonderful to, to sort of, um, see, see, follow their trajectories and career paths. It's cool to watch people, uh, take off and you're like, wait, Hey, that's, I did that. <laughs> that was me. I take full responsibility for any talents they possess. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it is all me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, they, that's funny. Well, I'm sure you have one, but have you thought about what your teaching philosophy is? And if so, can you articulate it? I don't know. I think I'm still... Um, new enough to, to teaching and coaching that I'm still trying to figure out my philosophy. I'm not going to say like, I, I have this like hardcore, like, yes, here it is on a t-shirt. Um, but I think for, for me, it's a lot of, um, making sure that I'm not trying to get everyone to just play like I play. Cause I think that that was a big turnoff for me in terms of like teachers and coaches I had would be sometimes they would stop a scene or give notes or feedback where it was clearly, um, I wasn't playing, in a way that they like to play. So to me, it's more about, um, it's more about honing the, the skill set. It's more about the sort of execution of it versus the content and making sure that we're, um, that I'm not pushing my own wares on other people, that I'm supporting their, their point of view, that I'm supporting their brand of humor. Um, but I just sort of help them with the, with the structure and, and communication and execution of it. Do you find that hard sometimes, though, to not um, insert perhaps your point of view or philosophy into what they're doing? I will absolutely. I will absolutely. After a scene, if I'm giving notes or something, if if it arises where someone's like, "Well, what what do you think?" You know, if somebody's like, "You know, what should I have done?" or "Was there a better choice there?" I will always preface it with like, "Well, Adel's brain might have done something like this." But I'm, I very much communicate like this is not the right answer. This is one of a billion different paths. So I'm like, this is what my brain does. That is not what your brain should do. You do what your brain does. Like, what would your brain tell you to do with these things in mind? Um, but I, I never would stop a scene and be like, uh, here's what should have happened or here's what you should have said. Because I think that can lead to a weird um, that can lead to weird territory in terms of like, again, I'm, I'm pushing my comedic wares on them. Um, so I, I wholly try and avoid that and just make sure that I'm, I get a sense of who they are. I get a sense of their play, their style, their point of view. And then I just try and best water that to see what grows and try and, you know, trim the, trim the leaves as it grows. I like to play pretty fast and hard. Like I, I want to be physical and come off the stage, like exhausted. Um, yeah. And then, but we have like some, uh, like we have one team in particular that I'm not, currently coaching but because of my role you know some artistic director i get to watch over them i guess so they play slower and i'll find myself in the back like hurry up hurry up hurry up and then i'm like oh no wait that's me that's not who they are as a team right and and then i have to sit back and be like okay let me look at what they're doing with this style oh, this is why maybe I want them to hurry up because it's not really that they're going so slow. It's they're not really fostering the relationships. Like you start to break down, you know, those fundamental improv tools. Yeah. And then, like you said, you can then help that. So I have to check myself a lot. Check um, yourself. <laughs> <I feel> like, 
<laughs> yeah. I'm like, wait, no. <laughs> like, why aren't you in a handstand right now doing 10 flips? I'm like, why aren't you being a, a sarcastic talking animal? Right. right now? Uh, <laughs> that's clearly what comedy is. Um, but I feel like e- even sometimes that can be um, on them. So I, I think sometimes when I'm coaching or teaching, every once in a, in a while, uh, I'll get someone in class who uh, is, I'll, I'll be teaching uh, uh, something or giving feedback or whatever that might be to them directly or to, uh, holistically. And I feel like they'll be like, well, I saw you do this in a show. And I'm like, well, that's me. Like, that's <laughs> that's that's my play, right? So you you, you carve out um, your own voice. You you um, uh, carve out your own um, style of play, right? Versus uh, aping or mimicking mine. Um, or they'll be like, uh, I compare it to almost, I, I use a lot of dumb analogies in improv, so forgive me. I'll compare it to like, a bas- like uh, playing basketball or something. Or they'll be like, well, I saw TJ and Dave do this. And I'm like, well, right now I'm teaching you how to, you know, dribble down the court, chest pass, and do layups. And you're saying you just saw someone dunk from the free throw line? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, TJ dunked from the free throw line. He can do that. But it's like, let's calm down right now, learn how to dribble and pass. And eventually you might get there. Or you might find something, your, your own style, <laughs> your own approach to the, to the basket, you know. Um, but I feel like some, sometimes it can come from their end in terms of like, they want to close that gap as soon as possible. They want to, they want to be the best right away. And if they don't, if they're if they're not playing in a way that's reflecting the best, then they get frustrated with themselves or frustrated with you as a coach or teacher. Yeah. Do you give? Do you have like any? I mean, I've tried to find like like you all. I'll try to compare it or something, but there's no there's no way to speed up this process uh, at all. Um, and I haven't found a really good way to get people to believe me. To, to believe when you give notes? No, no, that like you, I know that you, like people, especially when they're like, I want to be the best, I want to be the best. And it's like, but you've been doing this a year. Why do you feel oh, like yes. you, you can't make time go faster? You just keep showing up and keep doing the work, keep showing up, keep doing the work, keep taking the notes, keep learning. It's all, it's all reps. It's all, it's, it's like building a muscle. So it's a thing of like, when you're teaching something, uh, a skill set, that muscle in, in these students either exists, but it might be atrophied or doesn't exist at all. So it's a matter of building up the muscle versus, um, being amazing, being amazing at it right away. And that's something I compare to like martial arts where I'm like, you don't walk into like a martial arts studio day one and like punch a board and not break it and be like, this is bullshit. And then walk out asking for a refund. It's like, no, that's something you, you you eventually get to do, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm like, that's the same thing. Like, if you if you were to just walk in there and punch a board and be like, I didn't break it. Like, you're, you're a bad teacher. It's like, no, please calm down. Uh, <laughs> um, let's, let's both invest some time in this and patience. Are you currently teaching right now with your schedule or? Yeah, so I currently teach on Mondays and Wednesdays at I.O. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty open to what I teach in terms of like um, my friend Bobby who runs the training center I'll, I'll let him know I can usually teach whatever but I prefer right now I'm, I prefer 3, 4, and 5 levels 3, 4, and 5 which are scene work uh, the Herald which is the obviously the IO specific form and then advanced Herald and, and forms why do you why do you think you lean toward those classes? Uh, when I first started when I first um, was offered a, a teaching role I did level two for maybe uh, exclusively for maybe three years. Um, and two is all like group mind, team building, um, a lot of like gameplay. Um, so I think I just kind of not burnt myself out, but I think I, I did that for so long that it became 
um, I felt like I was in a routine, almost like I was doing, if you were to do stand up over and over and you, you have this sort of sharpened, um, delivery or something. So I felt like I wanted to get into something I hadn't done as much so that I could be a little more, I, it could be a thought, a more thoughtful process for me. Cause I feel like I was, um, slipping behind my previous, um, classes a little bit. You'll also travel and do workshops, correct? Yeah, so I'll travel around the, the U.S. and do workshops um, then like San Francisco and New Orleans and uh, Omaha and, yeah. So for those, uh, you created the curriculums for yourself on that, right? Yeah, so for those, it's usually a, um, a specific theater will reach out and be like, uh, we enjoy your, your play or like one of us had you as a teacher and would like to uh, bring you out. And they'll have me pitch uh, maybe three to five different workshops. So I'll just have, I have, uh, you know, files on different workshops I, I, I teach and just sort of um, summary of each one. And I'll mail those out and I'll usually select two or three and that'll be the, the workshops. So when you develop those, are you the type of person who like goes from like the big global objective and then works yourself well backwards? Or do you like to put together out a bunch of exercises and then see how it fits together like in a puzzle? I think I'm more um, probably the first one in terms of like working backwards a little bit. Um, so I think I'm like, here's, here's what I think I'm best at, or I feel most confident in. And then I'll work backwards to be like, what's at the core of that? Or what, what are the exercises that, um, can pose that the sort of connect, connective tissue of that all. Do you have, um, so I, I've called it the, um, uh, like the typical improv classroom setup where people come in and then you kind of schmooze mirrors and microphones. And yes. <laughs> yes. 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 As TV would have us believe. <laughs> um, but like, uh, where you come in, you talk for a few minutes, then we do the warm ups, then we go into exercises, then we go into scene work. Is that typically how your classes are run? Yeah, uh, yes and no. So I, I think I, I have a bit of a routine. Um, but what I'll do is, uh, I normally come in, uh, take attendance. And while I'm taking attendance, I'll have each person, uh, very briefly, um, toss out when I say their name, uh, I'll have them briefly toss out something that they're into that week in terms of like uh, a book, a movie, a podcast, uh, a meal they had and a life experience. Um, so just something brief, uh, to where they're all, um, talking about, their recent life experiences and that they're talking about something positive, something that affected them. Um, just because I think a lot of times people can come straight from work or come from having a bad week or something. So I immediately try and set a very positive, uh, allow them to set a very positive environment that's more conducive to like them being open and, and um, supportive. Um, and then from there, I'll check in with them in terms of if they saw any shows and if they saw any shows specifically that relate to what we're working on in class and if so you know would you see um successful or unsuccessful on stage mirrored back to you um and then from there i'll, I'll go into yeah warm-ups and then exercises and i think um we definitely have a curriculum at io um when i'm when i'm specifically teaching at io i definitely have a curriculum but i'm very um i'm very sensitive to how the class as a whole is sort of developing so if I feel like, hey, it would be great to do a refresher on openings at the top of class before we get into the rest of something, um, I'll go ahead and do that versus blazing ahead. So um, I very much, yeah, I, I, again, I'm, I'm hyper aware of maybe what the class, this specific class needs versus like plowing ahead to be like, well, this is where we're supposed to be at. Do you ever bring in materials or anything for class that you find helpful? You mean like play glory like a substitute teacher? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I mean, cause, well, like, uh, cause like, so, so in, in the very beginning, uh, I refuse, <laughs> this is so good. I'm so, uh, I'm so pliable. I refused to, um, I refuse to use like a notepad to draw out like what the beach structure of a Herald should look like, you know, just cause I mean, I, I learned, uh, I O Herald. So, uh, you know, opening beat one, a B right. And, uh, people would be like, well, can you like, and I'm like, no, cause is there going to be a visual representation when you're on stage? Like I was a bit of a hard ass on that stuff, but then I was getting like enough feedback. That I was like, fine, I'll go get like post big post-it notes, you know? And, uh, so sometimes I'll draw that out. And then I found with some classes, um, I actually will draw out this big like bullseye thing. And the very, very center is, um, red and then it goes to blue and then it goes to green. So red being uh, the panic zone. Um, and then blue being where you're learning. So you're a little uncomfortable, but you're willing to learn. And then green is your comfort zone. Um, and then students, cause I've had some students who just like were, in, you know, verbalizing the fact that they're in the panic zone was hard for them. So if they were able to point when something just is like, ah, I don't know. And then they, so I found some of those things to be helpful. So I'm just curious if you've found any, uh, besides bringing Matthew Broderick in, Hey kids, this man hit somebody with his car in Ireland. Um, right. <laughs> what, a, what a monster! I don't, I don't know if I've ever uh, for, for teaching specifically. I don't know if I've ever brought in materials. I definitely always have a, a notepad, and I have even last night. I, I did like a doodle of like, um, here is how this form is supposed to work. So I think um, just like a visual cue in terms of like we were working on. I was teaching a class close quarters, which is a very heady, complex form. Um, so I just drew like a, like a timeline and then was showing how the different scenes slot into this timeline perhaps. And, um, these little uh, sort of indicators that can help us along the way. So I drew a little quick doodle to explain that. And I, I know with like, um, when I teach summer intensive, which is involving students from all over the world coming in, um, where there's like a little bit of, there can be like a language barrier and stuff. Um, for that I'll have, especially when I'm teaching Herald, I will have a sort of flow chart of how the Herald works just so I can always hold that up to be like, hey, don't forget this is where we're at now and this is how this all works. Um, because I think sometimes there can be, like I said, yeah, there's just a little bit of um, uh, uh, ESL situation in terms of like being able to uh, effectively communicate to everyone in the room. Um, and so at IO, I assume that they're having students fill out evaluations at the end of the term, right? On the class? Yep. So at the end of eight weeks, um, they filled an evaluation and then those get um, sent to the training center in Sharna and then eventually passed along to us. Okay. So I always like to ask, have you ever gotten feedback and you were like, whoa, where did that come from? Um, I don't think I've ever been like shocked by any feedback. I think there was one session, I think it was maybe a few, maybe eight months ago or something. There's one session where like three people in the class had all mentioned like, um, Adel should have more confidence in himself. He's very apologetic. <laughs> and it was the, it was the first time I've gotten that, but I think, um, I think it was at a time where I felt like the classes, maybe not that specific class, but a lot of teams I was coaching perhaps, or a lot of other workshops I was doing, I feel like there was, a, I was getting a lot of pushback. So I, I would give a note and I'd be like, um, I'm seeing a lot of this. I feel like you skew towards this type of play. And so here's a note. And people would be like, um, and this is like a very small uh, minority. So this would be like, you know, 5% of the people I'm whatever. Um, but I'd give a note and for whatever reason, they'd be like, uh, I, I don't feel that way. Or I'd be like, I'm going to stop the scene. I see that you're doing this. 
Um, can we try and support, you know, the, your teammate said this or whatever, and I try and guide them to whatever, and they'd be like, well, you stopped the scene. I was going to do that. And I'm like, well, were you? Like, <laughs> um, so there's just like a tremendous amount of pushback. So for whatever reason, um, again, being very Midwestern, where somebody slams into me, I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I'm like, oh, you hit me, and I'm apologizing to you. Um, being from the mid- very Midwestern, I, I, whenever I get pushback, I'm like, oh, no, you're absolutely right. Like, you're, you're fantastic. You're doing very well. I'm just saying, like, you know, take this into consideration. And even if you don't agree with me now, maybe jot it, jot it down in the back of a notebook and come back to it if you ever hit a wall in, like, a year or something. Um, so I was being very apologetic in terms of, like, not being confrontational with my notes or not trying to avoid being aggressive. But I think that came off as me being the, the, the notes being a little watered down or the delivery being watered down. Um, so it was just funny to see, I was like, oh, they're, they're dead on in terms of like, yes, I was being very apologetic. <laughs> Did you, do you, have you, do you feel like you've course corrected on that? Or, I mean, cause some people like, uh, the approach, you know, uh, there's very much people who are like, no, nope, you take the note, sit down, shut up. And then there's people who are like, this is one person's opinion. Here's how I'm giving my notes. You know, I'd like for you to try it out and see what it feels like. And then we'll go from there. Right. Like that's just people's personalities coming through. Absolutely. And I think, um, I mean, since I've been teaching from, from almost day one, I always preface, like day one, I will give speech, uh, a short speech, not a Matthew Product Glory speech. Um, but I'll give, I'll give a, a callbacks. I'll give a short speech in terms of, I'll say, uh, anything that we, we do in this class, anything, um, I, any notes I give you, that's a reflection of like what I'm seeing. I by no means know the right answer. I by no means am the am correct in everything I say. Um, so I'm just like anything you hear is just my thought process, my my opinions, um, and they shouldn't be taken as like law or fact, right? So I'm like any to me any teacher teacher worth their salt would never be like this is the way you do it. This is the right answer. This is 100 percent true. But it's just like here's you know because it's it's all uh, subjective, right? Um, so it's this idea of. Um, I'm going to be giving you a lot of feedback, but know that this shouldn't be shutting you down or this shouldn't be like me tearing you apart. Um, it's all, it's all coming from a place of trying to make you better. So I think I just, I've, I've started to reinforce that a little bit more and that sort of worked my, me being over apologetic or I'll slow down my apology <laughs> to be like, versus it being right on the surface of like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Um, I'll be more like, I totally understand. That's absolutely okay for you to feel right now. But, I want to make sure that you get this note. Um, so if you can just uh, take it and, and as we continue on, please feel free to check in with me and see how that's working for you or whatever that might be. So I think I've just um, uh, made it, made everything a little bit more fluid, had it, added a little bit more fluidity to it all versus the, the immediate like, Oh, so sorry, neighbor. You judged something in my, in my mind in terms of like when you're talking about being more pliable, I think with my improv philosophy, I talked about sort of, making sure that I'm bringing out that person's style, that I'm, that I'm watering that sort of, um, their point of view. I think another thing in terms of my philosophy is, is being, um, hyper like malleable. Um, so it's the idea of like, have your own thing, have your own point of view, have your own style and flavor for sure. That's, that's yours and yours alone from your life experience and, and what, what brings you joy, but then also being, um, incredibly open, having your receptors incredibly open and being able to be malleable or adapt to the situation. Um, because we're not all in our own individual silos playing. 
we're playing with each other, right? So the way to sort of connect or bridge those different styles or personalities on stage is to make sure that we're uh, hyper aware that we're being adaptable when necessary. Um, and and uh, so much of improv to me is sacrifice, where it's like 95% of improv is sacrifice where you have a great idea or something. But so much to me of improv is, is having this amazing idea and then letting it go <laughs> and being like, I'll have, I'll have so many more of these. When we first met, actually, was at a workshop, and you said that, actually, at the beginning. You had said that um, about the sacrifice, and then you also said that, um, what do you say, like, fear, ego, and something else is never allowed. Oh, I always, I always say, um, I always tell my classes that the only reason we don't support is out of laziness, judgment, or fear. Yeah, and all three of those are unacceptable. But that and that sacrifice one, I loved that because so many times, you know, people go in, they'll have these preconceived notions of what they want the scene to be, and then when it doesn't happen because uh, we don't read each other's minds, um, <laughs> they get pouty, you know. And um, so I love that that just that whole like. Sac- like you've got to be able to sacrifice if you really want to be doing. Yeah, it's it's the idea of like because um, uh, because if we if we play the idea of like I have this great idea, I already know the ending. It's already sketched out. There's like a template in my head of how this goes. It then then moment one, you're gonna you're, you might be thrown and that's gonna upset you. So if I'm doing a scene with you, Lauren, and I'm and I'm saying like uh, in my head, I'm like, well, I'm gonna fire Lauren and she's gonna be pissed. And I'm like, Lauren, can I see you in my office? This is already a great scene. What a what a great what a tremendous what a tremendous uh, initiation. But if I say like, Lauren, can I see you? I uh, want to let you know that we're letting you go. And you go, yes, sweet, yes, finally, right? Immediately, I'm playing on my heels because I'm like, no, you're supposed to be upset. Like, aren't you upset? Um, <laughs> so it's this thing of like, if we already have it, if we already have the end in mind, if we already if we already think we know where this scene lands then we're screwed. So it's the idea of like, we have to, to play that journey versus playing the destination. So if I'm like, all I know is that um, I'm upset with Lauren or something. Um, and, and then I put that into the ether and you react however you react. We can find that scene together. We can, we can be on that journey together. And that's the joy of improv versus me being like, you fool, here's how this is supposed to go. <laughs> and, and you see that so often in terms of like, when somebody says something and their partner reacts in a way that they didn't expect, they're always like, you're not upset or you're, not, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll say this line that indicates like, shouldn't you be doing this? My favorite, right. My favorite is when they're like, well, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> no, I, and I'm glad you're like, at least not trying to hide it. I guess right? like, <laughs> that's good. The whole concept of this being subjective anyways, what are, so do you guys have metrics in place? for these classes and if so you know what is that like because because it is so subjective i find that putting met like we can have objectives and goals but putting in like really hard metrics can be a difficult thing in improv because it because it's art yeah there's no sort of set um growth metrics in terms of like here's what you you should specifically be looking for i think just any amount of growth in general or just um not uh not being uh, disruptive or undermining or shattering the realities and, and plays of others, I think. Um, so it is, I think it is kind of on a class by place, class or in, uh, individual by individual basis um, because there are people who start day one and they're, they're very meek and timid. And by week eight, they're these explosive, great personalities on stage. And it's like, holy crap, what a growth that was. 
And then there's people who come in and they're fine and they leave and they're fine, you know? Um, so there's a thing of like, you can't expect everyone to learn at the same time. I think this is a, this is a craft or, or, or an art form where your years don't necessarily carry with you sometimes where it's like, I've met people who have been doing improv for six months and they're, you know, drastically better than I am. Um, and then I've, and then I've met people who have been doing it for 40 years and they're, they're pretty rough on stage, you know? So I think sometimes this is a form where the years don't carry with you necessarily, but for the most part, hopefully there is this, this crawl towards an upward growth, even if we take dips along the way. Well, and I think those dips are hard, uh, for a lot of people. Um, yeah, I think we all have this sort of like every two years or so, I think every improviser has this like, what am I doing? I'm terrible at this. Like, why am I doing this? <laughs> I forgot how to do this. I, or I never knew. Like, yeah. Um, and then I find that I also like, I'm, I'm also having some of that like with teaching also. Uh, I got this. And then I'll have a class and I'm like, I am the worst teacher who has ever walked this earth. You know, like I have just, <laughs> which is really a big ego on my part to think that like I'm crushing an entire class. But Oh yeah. I've, I've, <laughs> I've had the two where I'm like, um, I'll have uh, sessions or just single classes where like, um, I, I used to, my goal was like to have everybody leaving with a smile on their face and being like super energized and enthused. And then at some point I was like, well, that's a great goal to have in terms of like making sure everybody leaves enthused and energized and happy. But also I don't think it's a bad thing to leave people, um, with something to chew on or something, you know, a little more thoughtful or, you know, maybe slightly frustrated because I pushed them hard, you know, a little bit harder, right. You know, um, ask them to push themselves. So I think I got into the mindset of like, I need to give a little bit more feedback or challenge them a little bit more. Um, because I think that's a sign of growth. Um, so I, I think sometimes I can, I might, I might challenge a class too much and then I leave, you know, I, every class I leave and I sort of dissect my process and I'm like, how did I do today? How did it seem like they were digesting that or how, you know, how effective I, was I in getting this across or how fair was I with my notes? So I think it's, it's definitely something you have to always check in with yourself and take stock of what just happened versus being like, I'm correct. <laughs> like anything that went wrong is on them. And <laughs> so I, I think it's wonderful. And even to hear from you of like, you know, like, ah, I'm, I, I fucked up or like, I, you know, um, I, I feel that for sure all the time. So I, I think it's a great sign that it's, we're putting it on our shoulders versus like the finger pointing at the class. Um, and there's definitely times where that can test, test my patience in terms of like, I'll give notes or I'll get, I'll be like, you know, I think, um, I think personally in improv, we should be uh, looking to this. And then inevitably somebody will raise their hand and be like, well, McNapier said this. And I'm like, oh, oh, my God, like, please believe Nick McNapier over me. Like, <laughs> he's a way better teacher than I'll ever be. But I'm like, I think my idea is also maybe worth consideration. <laughs> Where I'm like, um, I, I don't think it's all so, so uh, black and white. I think it's uh, improv is a gray area. So um, to me, I'm, I'm also like, I think what I said has value, but by all means, if, if you're looking for a hard and fast rule sheet, by all means, please use all of mixed rules over mine. But, but to me, it's and, – and to, to sort of harken back to the, these dumb analogies I make and, and the this, this sort of martial arts one I made. Um, and I, I know this is awesome to have a, a Middle Eastern Swedish man talking about uh, uh, Asian uh, martial arts. But um, I feel like uh, if you're familiar at all with like Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee created this uh, art, uh, martial art called Jeet Kune Do. 
which is like taking the best parts of every martial art and being being open with it, being like, as he would say, being like water, where it's like whatever happens, water can adapt or adjust, versus being like, this form is the best, this form is the best. So I think so often, especially in their youth, and, and not necessarily age youth, but experience-wise, I think so often students can be like, well, annoyance is the correct way to do it, or used to be is the correct way to do it, or IO is the way to do it, where it's like, I think take those classes, take those, have those teachers and take what works for you personally and create your own, uh, your own style versus again, buying into just one school of thought. I think the follow up to that also is after you've done that, don't force yourself to stay at one school if it doesn't fit with who you are as a player either. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, you should absolutely continue to evolve and grow and, and check in every once in a while in terms of like who, what you thought uh, you were two years ago may, may differ now as you grow and change. Um, and the idea that you never, you never stop learning. You're, you know, uh, every single person should be, except for maybe TJ and Dave, every single person in improv should be taking classes and workshops and, and sharpening their, their knives versus being like, I got it. Like, I, I found it, you know. Right. I'm going to jump ahead because you brought it up. Um, the whole, you brought it up just by being you really of the, of diversity and improv. Um, because so when I started this diversity is always on the forefront of my mind just because I am a female. So that all already like puts me in like a different position. And some of my experiences have been kind of just like shitty. And so that's always just kind of, uh, when I started, like, uh, when I started with this podcast, I started going through like who I have to talk to. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, they're all white men. What has that what has that experience been like for you since you don't necessarily, you don't check that box off? Because I would, I, you know, it, it's um, sometimes it's hard enough to even find people that we relate to uh, as performers. But then to find someone who can be a mentor and a teacher might even be a difficult challenge Um because we've been so white for so long that our teachers, like until we have more diversity on stage, I believe we can't have a super diverse teaching faculty because it sort of comes with player first, then you become a teacher. So um, if you have thoughts on the topic, I'd love to hear. Yeah. Uh, well, I definitely have thoughts. I don't have answers, but <laughs> I'm happy to, to put forward my thoughts. Um, I also, uh, Lauren, if, if you ever make a t-shirt that says, like you just said, We've been white for so long. I will absolutely buy one of those T-shirts. Uh, <laughs> improv. We've been white for so long. I feel I, I feel like I'm in a bit of a, a weird situation where uh, my father's Palestinian uh, and my mother is is uh, pr- pretty much white. She's her family um, hails from Sweden, uh, but she's you know uh, third or fourth generation. So um, basically, Palestinian on my dad's side and, and white on my mom's side. But I don't necessarily, I grew up being very dark, like dark skinned, like I was basically brown. But as I grew older, I became pastier. <laughs> so I think for me, it's a unique situation where my name definitely implies that I'm Middle Eastern, but I look like I'm vaguely Italian. So for me, it's a weird thing of like, um, I play on a team called Revolver and it's a thing of like, somebody might look at Revolver and be like, uh, it's so weird, you know, Revolver uh, has been around a while and it's all white people. And I'm like, uh... Yeah, but also like I'm Middle Eastern, and I I I like to think of Middle Eastern as not being white. <laughs> you know, like I, I think right now we're probably the the most despised uh, sect of human. So um, that's a little diversity. 
Um, so for me, it's a weird situation why I, I think I don't look like I'm uh, any sort of different ethnicity, um, but I but I am, and, and my name carries that. And growing up, I, I was raised Muslim, and so I think it's just a weird situation for me. And I, I still don't know how I necessarily feel about it all and handle it all. But I think it's it's just it's weird that I can I can uh, sort of walk that line. Um, but I think for the most part, part, people assume that I'm just white. Um, which again, I, I guess, depending on how you feel, if middle, middle Eastern falls into the white category, that's, that's your, that's your judgment. Do you feel any sense of like, this is on you to help? <laughs> Does that make sense? I definitely am very, um, sensitive to it all. So I think definitely in classes or if I'm coaching or anything, if something involving, uh, race comes up in terms of like, if somebody does a certain accent or something or, or says, you know, says certain words, I'll absolutely like stop, halt the class and be like, let's stop right there and let's have a discussion. So I'm very much someone who I'm, my receptors are open for that or listening for that. And I'm very sensitive to it. Um, so I'm, I'm ex- not excited, but I'm happy to have those conversations um, to sort of make sure that that gets that sort of withers and dies on the vine versus coming to full bloom as they get out of classes. And I was lucky enough to have my, again, my, my sort of mentor and, and um, one of my, my best friends and eventually my roommate was a, a guy named Jason Chin, um, who is a Chinese American who I think I was lucky enough to have Jason as a mentor. And, and so I, I think early on, I learned to, to be very aware of those things, to be, to be careful about what you say and do on stage in terms of like offending different ethnicities um, and what's kind of permissible and what's not based on your background. Um, so I think I was lucky enough to have him as, as sort of a guiding force um, for most of my career. Uh, have you, because uh, Chicago, you know, for the last year or so or a couple of years has really had a lot of like shock waves coming, coming through and same thing with IO West and stuff. Do you think that you guys, um, there's a shift, do you feel the shift coming or has it shifted or? I think the shift's already happened. I think we all, we all felt it and agreed with it in terms of like, just making sure that we're all we're all very aware and just being being uh, sensitive and uh, empathetic and um, more diverse in general in terms of like making sure. Um, for a long time, I was helping with casting the the IO teams, and I think um, the people that I was um, working with in terms of like casting Herald teams out of five B shows. We were very aware of, in terms of like, let's make sure that the teams are, you know, equal gender, uh, five and five. Let's try and get as many um, diverse roles and voices in as possible. So I think for a while it's been something that we've been striving for. And even more so now, I think the community as a whole is is very aware of it. Um, And I think we're all we're all moving towards a, a similar goal or the same goal, you know. Well, it's it's funny for me of like I am. I, I for sure bring my life experience to stage. Um, but again, like I was saying, like I, because I don't necessarily look Middle Eastern, um, I, it, I've been doing improv for nine years, 10 years perhaps. Um, and I, out of 10 years of play, I've maybe played uh, Middle Eastern five or six times. But it's funny for me in terms of like, I, you know, in like a world news show, if there's an article about Palestine or about uh, um, Arabs or something, I've come out before and I've initiated with like by speaking Arabic and then, you know, doing whatever. And the audience tends to be aghast where they're just like, Oh no, like (laughs) 
this white man is trying to speak fake Arabic. And I'm like, no, this is real Arabic. Again, because of how I look, because I don't look Middle Eastern, I think, um, except for the beard, I think it's it's so funny that like when I speak Arabic afterwards, people are like, it's so the 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 uh, words you're saying almost sounded real, and I'm like, no, that's real Arabic. Like I'm I'm uh, my father's Palestinian, and they're like, oh, uh, you look very white. And I'm like, uh huh, and they're like, yeah, I was I was pretty shocked that you did that. So what you did, and I'm like, no, but I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> so I think it's I, I think it's so it's such a funny experience for me in terms of like the audience being like, no, 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 and I'm like, no, I can do this. Because, like, we were talking earlier of how uh, sometimes, like, we check in with ourselves of, like, this is on me, not on the student. Do you think there is such a thing as a difficult student? Or do you think that's just us as teachers failing to get through? If I'm being 100% honest, I think there is such a thing as a, a difficult student. I think, in my experience, it's been rare to come across one. But I think it's, I think as teachers, we can only do so much. And then it's on them to be open and receptive and, and, um, compatible with like the teachings um so yeah i think there is there is such thing as a difficult student but it's i think it's it's rare it's it's like a i don't know like a white rhino or something <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> there's some out there we, we may never run across one in our lives but they're out there and i always wonder too like if in chicago um or in like new york and la and stuff you guys may either i don't know if you'd run into it more or run into it less because people that's where their careers can actually be made, right? Like you guys actually have people coming out and, and casting from watching shows and stuff. So, um, so I, I'm always just curious of like in the smaller markets, do we maybe see more or less difficult students? And then, you know, what that definition is. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 my, my experience has been that like a lot of students who make a choice on stage or who are being, uh, like not receptive to the, you know, what's going on and open to it. Is it because they're douchebags? It's because they have so much just fear and like internal talking in their head that that's what, that's what manifested. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If, if it's, if it's um, fear based or if it's coming from a place of like inexperience in terms of like, like, like again, when I was saying like someone's like, well, blank said this, it's like, that's not, them being a bad student that's just them being like well i thought this was the player like i was told this was right you know so i, I think any of that is absolutely excusable and, and never a signifier of, a, of a, a troublesome student i think to me it's a thing of like maybe not even a, there's no willingness there there's no willingness to try or it's just like every class becomes an hour discussion towards that one student that they want to have in terms of like uh, undermining the rest of the class or, or they're giving the others, you know, they're giving other people notes after you've told them not to several times where you're like, that's your classmate. Do not give them notes, please. And they continue to do that just to be, to exert some sort of power or something. So I, I think that that does occur. And I, I can't really, there's so many different things that, that could occur that I think would be a signifier of a troublesome student. But again, I, I've rarely come across those, but I, I think like you, like you're saying in the bigger market, I, I think there's that, that saying of like, if you meet, if you run into more than one asshole a day, you're the asshole. But then I'm also like, have you ever been in New York, like <laughs> Philadelphia? Like, have you been to a Philly sports game? Like, yeah, I was spit on by 16 different people. Like, I'm the asshole. <laughs> so, so, uh, so there's there's a, there's I think in the bigger markets a little bit more likelihood of that. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if I can like completely define or outline what, what would constitute a, a, a 
troublesome student. Have you ever had to ask anyone to leave class? Yeah, I think I'm pretty I'm pretty good at sort of diffusing any tension, and I'm I'm very sort of um, self deprecating when I teach in terms of like I'm an idiot, <laughs> um, or I'll just you know say things to sort of uh, show that I'm I'm a, a moron. So I, I think I'm pretty good at sort of deflating any of those issues. Um, or I think if if you're if if you're maybe a little bit more of like a like here's this is my class here's how it goes I could see where that might lead to kicking someone out and I'm sure I, I'm sure at some point in my career I will have to kick someone out but so far I think um, I've thankfully avoided that so what kind of advice would you have for anyone who is thinking about being a teacher to me it's a thing of like I think making sure that you if you want to become a teacher or coach I think try and sit in on some coaching or teaching sessions I know everyone uh, at some you know obviously in their career started off as a student so they know what it's like to be taught they know they've probably been on a team so they know what it's like to be coached but I think you have to observe as as just that as an observer versus a participant to have that sort of outside eye and that that sort of um, digestion of what's what's going on and, and how the coach or teacher is adapting or, or putting forth their their um, plan. So I would recommend maybe asking a, a coach if you can sit in on a rehearsal, maybe asking a teacher if you can sit in on class and take notes, um, and just starting from there and making sure that as you start off that you um, that you're open to growth. That you that especially if something occurs, uh, coaching or teaching, where somebody asks a question or somebody asks you know whatever, and you don't have the answer. I think just say you don't know. Just, just be like, because I did. I think I did that so often. It's like when I was starting off as a coach, I got asked to coach a team that was that had been a team long before I had started classes. So I started classes at I.O. Um, and there's a team that I loved watching on stage called Whiskey Rebellion that had been around three or four years. And then when I got onto a team and graduated classes, I was asked to coach them. And I was like, oh, I, I've been a student here for a year and a half or something. They've been around five or six years. I can't coach them. But it's that thing of like, I just uh, humbled myself in terms of like, if somebody says like, what do you think I should do here? What's, what do I do if this happens? And I'd be like, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> I'll think on that. I'll try and have a thoughtful response for you next week. But right now in this moment, I'm not going to try and struggle to conjure up an answer that's, that's me scrambling. Um, so I think be okay knowing that you as a teacher or coach, especially starting off, don't have all the answers and don't pretend to. Do you have any final thoughts about anything we haven't covered yet? For students, maybe if, if there's somebody who's just starting off in improv or has been doing it for a short amount of time and they're still in classes or anything, I think just a little bit of advice I give is to, it's something I wish I would have given myself if I could go back in time, which is to not do 10 teams at once, which is to, which is to like undercommit. Um, so I would say like find, find like two or three projects that interest you best to find Maybe like a team and then a sketch show or whatever, whatever you want to do. Find two or three projects that you're hyper passionate about uh, and that you can do well and allow time for, for life experience. Because I find what happens when you, when you do 10 teams or whatever that is, is that you have no, there's no breathing room for like new information or new input or life experience. So your improv, improv tends to stall out in terms of like all you do is watch and do improv. So you're stalling out. And maybe you're not even watching improv because I know as a teacher, uh, I start every class checking in to see like what shows people have seen, and so often nobody's watching shows anymore. Where I'm like, I'm like, you're taking classes at I O and you're not seeing any shows here. Like, 
that's your that's your prerogative. You're paying for it, so I can't force you to. But I'm like, why would you not want to see shows? That's that's how you grow is to is to to take classes, and then watch shows and see how they're doing that. You know, either successfully or unsuccessfully. So I think because everyone's performing in shows and not watching shows or, or observing shows, I think that can lead to bad habits or just stalling out. Um, so I'd say make sure that you're seeing shows, making make sure that you're passionate about what you're doing, and don't allow don't don't um, wait for anybody or any theater to validate you. I think the most satisfying experiences I've had have been ones that I've created myself or that I've been brought into by a close friend. So I think it's a thing of like realize that making an IO team is not should not be your end goal. Making Second City Main Stage should not be your end goal. That should be something you maybe uh, hope for or um, you know. Uh, strive for but i think creating your own opportunities is always going to be the most successful and satisfying experience where can people find you online you can find me i'm on twitter at at um if that's a thing that people do um i'm i'm 35 i don't know why i'm talking like i'm a grandpa if, if that's a if twitter if people twitter still um i do a podcast called hello from the magic tavern in which i play a shapeshifter named chunt so if you want to listen to Hello from the Magic Tavern, you can find that on iTunes or we have a website. Um, I also do a podcast with my sister called Sibling Speculaire, which is real silly. Just sort of a supernatural uh, talk show. Um, sort of a, a, a send off of uh, Coast to Coast. Um, and then you can see me at I.O. in Chicago with World News Tonight and Revolver. And if you're ever in Chicago, please let me know and I can grab you comps or if you want advice or whatever, just let me know.